How has your self-checkup been going so far? Maybe you're visiting, you go, what in the world are you talking about? Um, I'll explain. We as a church have been taking the five weeks of January and doing a spiritual self-check as a way to begin 2023 on a solid foundation. So we're looking at our lives, our walk with the Lord um, in a structured way, and we're evaluating ourselves and, and the Lord with the Lord and saying, God, where am I really at right now? And Lord, um, what, what wonderful things do you want to speak into my life as I go into the next year? So we spent week one looking back into our lives to relive those times when we just knew for certain that we had been experiencing God in very real ways. And we did that as a way to remind ourselves that God really does love us and He really does want the best for us. The evidence that He loves us now is the fact that He's proven His love in the past. And then week two, we, we said, you know what, we're going to do something hard. We're going to be, this was last week, we're going to be honest with ourselves about where we really are with the Lord. And we, took, we looked at this, kind of a hard thing. Are we deceiving others or are we deceiving ourselves in regard to our spiritual condition? Are we putting on a mask? Are we being phony? And we said, if we are, God was not condemning us, but God would help us to see that so that we could, we could recognize it now, we could make necessary adjustments in our spiritual walk so that we would not continually drift in the wrong direction, but we'd walk in step with the Lord and go forward in a positive way into 2023. So now today we come to week three. And week three, we want to kind of change our focus a little bit. There's going to be a change of focus for, for not only this week, but for the next two weeks coming forward. In the past two weeks, we were looking at the reality of now and even looking back. And our objective was to deal with anything that needs adjustments. But now today and for the next two weeks, we are going to look ahead. We're going to look forward to what can be in our lives what could God do in our lives? What amazing things does God want for our future? What good things can God develop in our lives as we move into this new year? And what might God do in you and do in me that causes us primarily the goal of this, to become more like Jesus? So that's what we want to begin to, to think about today as we go today and into the next two, next two weeks. So for this week... We want to look at an example. We're going to be, next three weeks, we're looking at Jesus as an example. Who thinks it's a pretty good idea? As we're looking for what should we become like in a year, kind of look at what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's like. So we are going to look at Jesus as an example of how he lived in his daily life. As he lived among people and as he taught people and he healed people. And what we want to do is we want to look at the example that Jesus gives us and then to invite the Holy Spirit to, to move in our hearts and our souls and to shape us to become more like Him as we live and move and interact with people. We want to see Jesus as our, as our example of what can be. Because friends, Jesus is the example of what a human is when they're completely in Christ. And so He's our example. So what we're going to do today is we're going to read an event. We're just going to do, I'm, using, I'm going to do as, use an example of Jesus' life. And we're going to look at an, just a particular event in the day in the life of Jesus. And we're going to see what his example has to say to us. And we're going to ask ourselves, how could we become more like Jesus by, by 
seeing his example. And what I'm hoping for is I'm just going to take a particular verse and look at it, but I'm going to explain this in a while, that you will then be able to look at other stories of Christ in Scripture and ask the same question. What does that say about Jesus? How can I become more like that? So grab your Bibles. I don't know if I can preach with one hand. A one-handed preacher. Your wife's got all nothing on the, on the left side. I don't know that I can preach. I never preach holding one of these things. So can I open my Bible and do all this? Am I coordinated enough? Open your Bible to John chapter 8. And we're going to look at a story in the life of Jesus. And can I make a point? Somebody asked me one time, they said, why do you say these are stories about Jesus? He said, they said, because a story is just a story. It means it's, it's real or fake, but in Jesus it's real. So it's just a, this is a day in the life of Jesus. It's a story from his life. And it really happened. We were explaining that to our grandkids the other day. We were watching, we were watching Veggie Tales. You know they sell Veggie Tales out? I didn't know that. My kids were raised on Veggie Tales. You're saying, try this? I'm getting a thumbs up to try the other microphone. I am not on. I am on. Woohoo! Look at that. Put that over there. So that tells me I'm not crazy that I actually had my microphone on. And so anyways, Veggie Tales. And we were watching Veggie Tales, and then we were also watching Superbook. These are grandma, grandma and grandpa learned these things. Superbook, Veggie Tales, go online, pull them up. And we were telling the kids, and I said, do you guys know what Superbook is? Like, what do you mean? Because it's these characters that go into the book. I said, that's the Bible. And then we said, those are real stories. They're not pretend. These are real stories. And like, really? These things really, yesterday was Daniel and Lion's Den. This really happened. They're real stories. And so we want to look at a real story that really happened in the life of Jesus. So John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 1. The story of, it's called, my Bible calls it the adulterous woman or the woman caught in adultery. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and he began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Um, What do you say? They were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him to straighten up, he straightened up and he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at this at her. After he stooped after, he he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When When they heard it, they began to go, go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. Now, most of you familiar with that story? I'd imagine most of us are familiar with that story, and it's actually one of my all-time, it's, it's maybe my favorite story of Jesus' interacting with people. And if I were to ask you, since you're familiar with it, to tell me what you see about Jesus in this story, I think I would hear things like this, that it shows that Jesus loves sinful people. And you'd maybe say something like this, it also shows that all of us are sinful people. 
Because Jesus said, hey, who doesn't have sin, cast the first stone, and they all dropped their stones and walked away. Um, we'd maybe say that Jesus didn't condemn people, but rather he loved them and he leads them into a better life because he didn't just say, I don't condemn you, but how did he end? He said, now go and sin no more. All of these things are absolutely true about Jesus. And we can all be inviting Jesus by the Holy Spirit to, to help us to grow, to become more like Jesus, like we would see in this area. And surely we need to do that. But for this week, as we take time in the scriptures, remember that's what we're encouraging you to do, to uh, in this month take what we discuss on Sunday and spend some time Monday through Saturday engaging with God in scriptures about what's particular focus of that week. So as we take time in scriptures this week and we focus on the life of Jesus lived through, through um, with people just interacting with him like he interacts with this woman, I want you to encourage you to do something. I want you to sit with a particular story about Jesus. What I mean is I want you to just park in one story and look for those things that maybe are a little deeper than just those basic things. We said, oh, he forgives people. He loves people. He doesn't condemn people. I want you to look beneath the story this week and the next couple weeks. And I want you to look for motives and attitudes and emotions. I want you to look beyond any miraculous that you see in the stories of Jesus, like Jesus feeding thousands of people or raising dead people. And I want you to look for those things about Jesus that caused him to do the things that he did or those actions that allowed him to navigate the situations that he found himself in. What I want you to see this week and the coming weeks is the character of Jesus, what drove Jesus. And then to realize that his character is an example of what our character can become as we, over the long haul, learn to live in relationship and in communion with the Lord. So let's do this with the story of the woman caught in adultery. Let's go a little deeper. Let's go beyond those surface things that in the, in the, in the knee-jerk reaction to, what do you see here? You're going to say, oh, I see this and I see that. But let's take some time to go below the surface of the story. And what I want to do for you is, is point out some of the things I see when I go below the surface. I'm not saying there's not more. There's a lot more. And I'm not saying the Holy Spirit won't point out something else to you. He will point out other things. But I'm giving you an example of how you can sit with a text. I just sat with this text. And I said, Lord, I see, these, I see these things that I've always seen. But what are some of the other things that are in the story, that are, that are underneath it, that are beneath it, that, are, that, 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 that define the character of Christ that allowed him to act in those ways that I see? So I want to explain to you a couple of the things that as I sat with this particular story that I um, see below the surface. And these are the kinds of things that um, God wants to develop in you and me. And so let's look at a few of them. The first thing I noticed was this, that Jesus tolerated interruptions. If I asked you to talk the story, I don't think anybody would have come up with this initially and said, oh, what I see in this story is Jesus tolerates interruptions. But as I sat with this story, one of the things that popped out to me, and I believe it was by the leading of the Holy Spirit, is that Jesus tolerated interruptions. Look at the story. It says Jesus had gone to the temple early in the morning to teach. And notice that it says that he did this again. He said he went to the temple again. So apparently Jesus was regularly going to the temple early in the morning to teach. And it says he was teaching what? He was teaching all the people. 
So lots of people were gathering early in the morning. They were coming to the temple early in the morning to hear Jesus teach. So this was important work. It affected not just one or two, it affected a lot of people who were going out of their way to get up early in the morning and come to the temple. And Jesus was going out of his way to come there early in the morning and to teach them. But then the story goes, then without asking, and apparently in the middle of his teaching, the scribes and the Pharisees interrupt what he was doing and force their agenda upon Jesus. Basically, stop doing what you think is important, Jesus, and instead do what we think is important, Jesus. That's the definition of an interruption. And also remember in the story, Jesus, not only were they interrupted, he knew their motives that they were interrupting him because they wanted to set a trap for him. They wanted to find a way of accusing him of breaking the law of Moses. So they interrupt him, and they do it with the intention of causing him harm. Now, here's the question. How did Jesus react? How did Jesus react? Did he get mad? Did he tell them that he didn't have time for them? Did he throw up his hands and walk away and say, I can't teach in this environment? No. He stopped what he was doing and he gave them their matter, what they thought was important, his full attention. He tolerated their interruption and extended grace to them. That's something we see below the surface. Now, how does this action of Jesus speak into your life and to my life? Because remember, we are looking at these things to see what we could be like. Well, as I looked at that, maybe this is why the Holy Spirit pointed it out to me. It challenges me to change or at last question how I respond to people when I find myself in the middle of something that I deem very important and they come and knock on my office door. You know who's a master at this, who's got this one down? Pastor Mitch. I told him this when I was writing my sermon. I interrupt Pastor Mitch multiple times every day. He's always on his computer working and stuff, making sure all our bills are paid, sending money to, the, to Brandon, doing all this stuff. And I walk in and I go, and he always turns in his chair and he smiles at me. Like that. He does. He, he does it on purpose, a great big smile. How may I help you? And, and he does it great. He's a model to me of what we see in the story of Jesus. And I'm serious about that. I told him, I said, you remind me of this quality of Christ. That he was interrupted, but he does it, but he recognized that, that the person interrupting him was important. I ask myself when that happens, do I get mad when the person knocks at the door? Or do I tell them I don't have time? Now, there's times that you're in the middle of something and you can't be interrupted. That's life. We understand it. But this is a general principle of how we live. Or do we, instead of getting mad, do we see the value in that person who's knocking? And instead of seeing them as an interruption, we see them as somebody that God loves greatly. You see, Jesus loved the scribes and the Pharisees as much as he loved the woman caught in adultery. We don't understand that all the time. Jesus loved the scribes and the Pharisees every bit as much as he loved the woman caught in adultery. He didn't see them as his adversaries. He saw them as needy people also who simply misunderstood. So he ministered to them also. He could, have, he, he could extend grace to them 
because he didn't see them as interruptions. Friends, I want to be more like Jesus in this way. So as I took time to sit with this text, that was the very first thing the Holy Spirit pointed out to me. Well, there's some other things the Holy Spirit pointed out to me. The second one is this. And again, maybe particular to me, but it applies, I know, to some of you also. And it's this. I see that Jesus was calm in controversy. He was calm in controversy. In the midst of a situation where a woman could lose her life, they wanted to stone her and kill her, and the law says they should. Jesus was a non-anxious presence that de-escalated the situation. The scribes and the Pharisees came in looking for a fight, and Jesus didn't take their bait and engage the conflict. I find it interesting how he responded. They start quoting the law of Moses and escalating the situation, but Jesus does something interesting, and it's on purpose, I believe. As they're saying these things to him, it says something very strange about Jesus. It says he stoops down. He sits on the ground, and he starts doodling in the dirt on the floor. They want him to fight, and he stoops in the ground, and he sits down and starts doodling on the floor, almost kind of like ignoring them. Think about this. If you are in a situation, and someone comes to you looking for a fight, they look for conflict, how do we normally respond? How do you normally respond? Be honest with yourself. Honestly, if I don't have time to think about it, I respond, and you do just the opposite of Jesus. We most likely get up and puff out our chest and walk towards them and say, Really? You want a piece of me? That's kind of what we do. Saying basically, you're not going to push me around because that's how we've been taught to live in the culture that we live in. We usually get large, but Jesus got small. We usually get large and, and try to show our dominance, but Jesus got small. And that action began to de-escalate the situation. Jesus was a non-anxious presence when everyone around him was, was escalating, he was the calming presence that brought peace to the situation. He didn't engage their controversy head on. He didn't get hooked into their conflict. He remained calm. And friends, this is the quality of Jesus that I've been trying to grow in for years. You know, as we navigated all the conflict of COVID and all the politics over the past couple of years... I felt in the very beginning, and I, I told our staff this, and I told a lot of you this, I felt the Holy Spirit just told me to be a non-anxious presence, to bring calm by being calm, to not get frenzied, not get hooked, not get pulled into the, into the fray of the conflict, just remain calm, be calm, and then if you'll be calm, you'll bring calm. And I think as a church, we did pretty good of staying calm. I think this quality is so needed in our current explosive culture. Bring calm into your situations by being calm, just like Jesus did on that day. As I was looking at this, I remembered something that I had not thought of in a number of years. And I was taught this, a book I read years ago, about how everybody walks through life with two buckets. That everybody has two buckets, basically, you walk through life. You have water in one, and gasoline in the other. And in every, con every situation you come to, you have a choice. You can throw water on it, 
or you can throw gasoline on it. Well, what happens to a spark when you throw water on it? It calms down. What happens to a spark when you throw gasoline on it? It erupts. Well, here's the reality. It is, it is almost always best to pour water on the issues and conflicts around you, to be a peacemaker in a situation. Rarely is it best to pour on the gas. It just escalates conflict, and it keeps from positive resolutions in whatever situation you're in. You know what? You can get big, and you can get blustery, and you can win the conflict, but you can usually wreck a whole bunch of people in the process, and guess what? You're going to walk through life alone. At least you're going to walk through life where people don't want to really engage with you. Jesus is giving us a different way. He's giving us a way, an example that's different than the, the, the culture around us. They're just saying, get big and get loud. Jesus said, I'm going to get small. Now, was Jesus a small man? <laughs> was Jesus a powerful man? The most powerful ever. The most powerful. But you know what? He didn't have to prove it in these situations. He just brought calm, was calm and brought calm. So being like Jesus looks a lot different than we may be used to living. So I, I, I encourage us as a church, let's just ask Jesus to help us grow in an area like this. Let's look at one more characteristic of Jesus that we discover as we sit with the story. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm explaining to you ones, ones that the Spirit showed me so that you can say, okay, I can sit with the story and, and, and get below the surface and say, what other things do we see in a story that, that reveal why Jesus did the things he did? It's this. This is the last one. Jesus was thoughtful before he answered. Jesus was thoughtful before he answered. The scribes and the Pharisees bring this woman before him and ask him what he thinks they should do with her, reminding him that the law of Moses says that they should stone her, they should kill her. That's when Jesus stoops down and begins to write on the ground. And he did not answer immediately. It says that they had to, to get him to answer, it says they had to persist in questioning him. They kept on asking, well, Jesus, what do you say? So after a while, Jesus answers them with a brilliant response. He says, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. He never really answers their question. He just says, if you don't have sin, throw the first stone. What he does is he, he, he puts it back on them and says, you decide. Okay, that's what the law says. You decide. If you don't have sin, cast the first stone. He makes them answer the question themselves. Jesus took time to calmly think about his response before he gave it. You know, if earlier today I'd asked you to tell me three characteristics of Jesus from this story, I doubt anyone would have said that he was thoughtful before he answered. On the surface, you just probably wouldn't think of that. But look at the good it did. And think of the good it would do for all of us if we grew in this quality of character in our daily lives. How many fights would be avoided in our families? How many emails and texts and Facebook responses would not be sent? And how much more love and peace would result in our relationships? It it would change us. That's what we want for this week and the coming weeks. We want to be changed. Not changed by me telling you what to do, but changed by you sitting with the Scriptures and allowing the Spirit of God 
to point things out from the life of Christ that is the example of what God says you and I can be. Because the Bible says he's begun a good work in us. He says that if he's begun a good work, he's not going to stop it until the day he returns. He's going to keep working in our lives. It's his, it's his gift, his promise to us. So this is what God is saying you and I can be like. What would be if, if, if even with these three qualities, we said, okay, God, for 2023, I'm going to hold these three qualities up, just these three. And then every week we're looking at different ones. And, and this year I would love these things to be more real in my life. And then God always says yes to that prayer. He allows you to grow and develop because he wants you to become more like Jesus. Just imagine what it would be the difference in your family 12 months from today. It would be different. It would be better. That's the gift God's offering it to us. Does that make sense? Why doesn't the worship team come up this morning? See, the ways that we can develop in Christ-likeness usually aren't about having faith to heal the sick. That's the kinds of things we think. Oh, I'm looking at the life of Jesus, and man, he's just, he's just walking up to somebody and saying, oh, no one else can heal you, I'll heal you. They're not generally, those aren't, that, honestly, say that's not the most important stuff about healing the sick. The really important things relate to how well we love others, and part of how we love others has to do with how we control ourselves, our pride and our anger when others are unkind. I'm going to talk a lot more about that next week. So be here next week because we're going to look at another text that's going to help us see how we walk through some challenging times. Friends, these are really important ways to become more like Jesus. And I really do encourage you this week to look into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Find a story where Jesus is interacting with others. So just go through and flip through the pages until you see a story where Jesus is interacting with, with others. And just sit with that story with an open posture before the Holy Spirit. And read it and reread it and have your notebook and write some things out. What do you see? And ask questions about Jesus, about his motives, about his emotions, about his actions, about his reactions. And allow the Holy Spirit to show you what's beneath the surface of the events. And here's what I know. As I do that, the Lord speaks to me. I know this for sure then. As you do that, the Lord will speak to you. And I promise you this. I can share with you what the Spirit shares with me, and that's good. But if you receive from the Lord what He has to say to you, it's life-changing. God wants to change your lives and my lives. These things got to speak to me because He wants to change my life in these areas. He's going to, through other texts, show you things where He's saying, look at Look what can be in your life. Something wonderful. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us grow in the ways that he points out to us from his texts. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, help us to become the men and women that you want us to become. Help us to be people who, who we, we stand out as different in this world because we look like you, Jesus. Help us to be people that, that are so open to change and open to growth that when you, from your word, point something out to us, 
that we willingly say, God, I want that. I want to be like you. Now, churches, we're in just this quiet moment in prayer. Maybe you're here today, and I've been talking about Jesus, looking at this one who didn't condemn this lady, and maybe you know something about him, maybe you don't. But the Bible, the Bible we're looking into, tells that Jesus is God's son who came to mankind. And he gave his life for us. The Bible says to save us. The Bible teaches that we were lost, all humanity lost because of sin in the world and we're helpless because of it and we're bound for destruction. But Jesus, the son of God, has come into this world to do something that no one else could do. He he came to take our place. Justice demands that because we do wrong, because we sin, there's there's punishment. Jesus said, I'm going to come and take the punishment myself. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus came and he died for all of humanity, saying, I'm going to rescue all humanity from from the curse of sin. I'm going to give my life in their place so that as we are united with him, we can walk in freedom from sin in this world. If you're here today, you've never come to Christ. You've never said, Jesus, I need you. You've never said, Jesus, I need you to forgive my sins. You've never said, Jesus, I want to be your follower. And you're sitting here today and something inside of you is saying, this is what I need. This is what I've been looking for. This is why God brought me here today. And I want to give you a chance to respond. And you respond like this, in the quietness of your seat. You simply, in your heart, you talk to the Lord. Because he's here. The Bible says his spirit is, is with us. And in the quietness here of your heart, your mind, you say, God, I need you. God, I, 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 can't, I'm, I can't make it anymore on my own. I've tried to overcome these conflicts in my life. I've tried to overcome sin in my life, but I am ruled by them. Even some of the things that were pointed out today in the service, those define my life. My speaking before thinking, my my anger and and conflict, my inability to be gracious towards people would even interrupt me. Those things just define my character. But I see there's a different way. And so God, today, I want to ask you to come to me. And as you come to me, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to take a step in my heart right now and just say, Lord Jesus, I'm opening up my heart. Come into my life. Wash away all the garbage and make me a new person in you. So today, Lord Jesus, I give my life over to you because you're God. And from this day on, I want to walk with you. 
done that today, if you just pray that prayer, something like that in your heart today, this is what I promise you, God never turns an open heart away. He always receives you with open arms and brings you into his family. And I'm going to ask you to do something today. If you're saying yes to the Lord, today before you put your head on your pillow, you tell somebody that you said yes to Jesus. A friend, somebody who's in church with you, if you don't have another person in the world that knows Christ, you come tell me. Because what's going to happen as you do that is it's going to, it's going to do a couple things. First of all, it's going, to, it's going to kind of cement it in. Say, this is real. But secondly, it's going to invite that other person you're telling to kind of walk along your side and say, let's walk this journey with Jesus together. It's letting him know that you've begun your journey with Christ. So I encourage you to do that today. Before your head hits the pillow tonight.